Okay, well, hello and welcome. Welcome to everyone who's joined us today. Um, and welcome to everyone who's introducing themselves in the chat. Um, let's get started. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, we're here today to discuss challenges and solutions surrounding uh, building an in incident response plan together with Hub Security's very own Itzik Nahama. Uh, he is DFIR team leader at Hub Security. Um, and we're also joined by a number of other industry experts, including Mario uh, Bellotti, Nuno Teodoro, uh, Jerry Coponera, um, and lastly, Victoria Van Rusmanen. So thank you. Thank you all for joining us and thank you for being here with us today. Um, we're going to start our webinar as usual with a few introductions. And um, we're going to start with an introduction from Isik Nechama. Um, and then our panelists will each get a chance to briefly introduce themselves. Um, afterwards, we're going to get into a bit of a deeper discussion on everything related to incidents response, including its challenges and solutions. Um, and as usual, we'll leave about 30 minutes at the end. So if you have any aching questions, um, anything itching your itching at your mind, you can throw it in the Q and A box, and we'll get to it at the end of the event. Um, yeah, so let's get started. Uh, we have an impressive lineup of panelists tonight, and I'm excited to have them each introduce themselves to you. So, uh, but before we begin, we'll start with a few words from Itzik Nahama, um, the DFIR team leader at Hub Security. Before we hand off the mic for introductions, uh, Itzik, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you. And uh, welcome everyone who joins us today on this uh, webinar. Uh, my name is Itzik. I'm the DFIR team leader at uh, Hub Security. Um, my team is provide mostly uh, incident response, of course, but uh, also SOC services uh, such as uh, uh, CyberDrill, SOC as a service. Uh, uh, but it's only one team across the, uh, the cyber resilient uh, department. There is two more teams. Uh, offensive uh, security, which provide uh, DDoS uh, simulation attack, phishing attack, uh, red team operations, and uh, physical intrusion. Uh, so I believe, uh, following the discussion, we have the, we have the chance to, to dive deeper in my, my team uh, uh, services. Great, thank you, Ithik. Um, we're glad that you can join us today. I think this is our first webinar together. Um, so welcome. Um, now let's take a few minutes to do a quick introduction round with our panelists, uh, starting with Mario. Why don't you give our audience a bit of background on yourself and your field of expertise? Sure. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Mario Vilotti. I'm from Caracas, Venezuela. I've been at this IT game for a bit now, almost. Uh, 16 years. Uh, I'm an engineer at heart. Um, I've been doing a bit of everything, technical support, physical security, uh, email security, you name it. Um, and I've been also, you know, here and there, I started my career, as you know, in, in Caracas, Venezuela, then I moved to Malta, then I did a short stint in Ireland, and I'm now coming to you live from Madrid, Spain. And well, like I said, um, I'm a, a bit of a technical um, guy, and I recently started as a CA, CISO and digital security officer for AXA Madrid International Hub, um, which is basically a support arm for AXA as a whole in terms of their entities. 
Um, I'm happy to connect with anyone and support them in any way I can from my position. Thank you very much. Great, thank you, Marion. Thanks for joining us. Um, Jerry, why don't you go next, Jerry Caponera? Sure, thank you. Uh, it's nice to meet you all. Uh, appreciate being here. I'm calling today from the Washington DC area. <clears throat> so I'm on the East Coast of the States, 12 o'clock midday here. And it's actually sunny for a change here in the States. So I'm actually very, very happy about that. Um, I'm the VP of cyber risk strategy at a, at a company called Threat Connect. And really my background, my expertise is in uh, understanding cyber risk, both technically and from a financial perspective. Um, like Mario, I started my career as a, as, a, as a nerd, as an engineer. In fact, I was an electrical engineer as an undergrad. And I did it not knowing this, but I get to now make the joke for the rest of my life that you can't spell geek without double E. So <clears throat> that's just kind of a side benefit of being an electrical engineer for those who are still in school or thinking about it. But one of my passion areas and what I spent most of the last, I don't know, five or seven years doing is really helping organizations figure out what to do with risk and how to prioritize mitigations. You know, because when you get into red teaming and pen testing and incident response, unless you have an army of people, unless you've got uh, thousands and thousands of people, you have to figure out how to prioritize and what to do next. And my passion is to figure out how to do that in terms that meet business expectations. Because if you're on this webinar and you don't like getting paid, please call me because I could use donations with, with my children. But we all do this for a living and, and our companies are exist to, to, to really make money and to move forward. And our goal as cybersecurity professionals is to help keep our companies in business. That's, that's our job, keep people safe, keep people in business, keep people employed. And so that's my passion area and I'm excited to be here. So thank you. Yeah, and we're really glad that you could share your perspective uh, with us today too. Um, Victoria, why don't you go next? Good to see you again. Likewise, happy to be here. So my name is Victoria. I am the CISO and DPO at Cousteau, which is the leading content and social media marketing tool in the Netherlands. Well, just like the others, I have a strong technical background, primarily when it comes to also electrical engineering and DevOps affairs. But my focus has you know, primarily shifted to the information security and privacy governance for in the last decade or so to really help you know, enabling businesses um, being able to really focus on the value that they aim to deliver. So people can really focus on, we, you know, we want to deliver this value to our customers and obviously security, privacy and everything that comes around with it, it's, it's important to focus on, but I want them to be able to move forward, having everything embedded and taken care of as natural as possible and not really slept on, you know, at the last or at the beginning and then forgotten. So that's really my uh, expertise to try to make it like common sense and make it as easy as possible. Great, uh, very nice that you could be here with us again. Um, maybe your, your cat makes another appearance, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, Nuno, go ahead, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, I'm talking from Portugal, so also not very surprised it's a lot of sun here <laughs> uh, at this time. Um, I do uh, work currently as a cybersecurity and privacy officer at Huawei in Portugal, so I make part of an European team of cybersecurity and privacy officers that basically our main role is to uh, understand current regulations, legislations for cybersecurity and privacy and translate that uh, into our products and processes and also make the bridge between customers and other stakeholders internally to our business to make sure that we comply with all the regulations and all the requirements for cybersecurity. My background, well, also not um, very distant from the others. I am an engineer. I've studied 
computer engineering and my role and my um, basically my my field of expertise in the back in the days was um, security testing and penetration testing and actually one of the major big projects that I've done in my career was the creation of an instant response team in a big telecom company. Um, and I've evolved to a global uh, CSO positions where I, I do believe my strength is to be able to translate technical uh, controls to risk and to business uh, understandable language, let's say that way. Yeah, definitely. That's really important. I, um, I think today more than ever. So thank you for joining us. Um, I'm just going to dive into today, today's discussion because we don't have a lot of time. Um, for those of you who just joined, our format right now uh, for the event is going to be about a 45-minute uh, discussion followed by Q&A. So if you have questions throughout, you can drop them in the chat box or in the Q&A section. It makes it easier to track, but um, I cannot, <laughs> definitely cannot control where the discussion happens. So feel free to share your thoughts in the chat as well and, um, yeah, um, and to spar there. Um, so just to start off our discussion uh, for today, what we're going to do um, is cover three topics. So the first is just going to be a general introduction or an overview um, to incidents response, what it is, uh, how it works, maybe some, um, some, some tips. And um, the second topic we're going to talk about is related to um, critical steps in planning. Um, and that's going to be followed by our third topic, which is more related to, to taking action and um, analyzing outcomes um, and dealing with, uh, I guess, the morning after. So um, I'm going to start off with our first question and keep it open to, to the, any of our panelists to respond, so to the group. Um, and just feel free to, to unmute yourself um, and jump in. Um, so just to start us off, what is incidence response? Um, and what does it look like in 2022 and why is it more crucial today uh, than ever? I'll probably start in if you don't mind. Uh, I would say that um, uh, probably response is uh, um, a small part of what we are discussing here in terms of topic is uh, probably management is more adequate to what we seek to do here. Um, we all pretty much know the, the steps from the frameworks in terms of CSER uh, teams and how to manage incidents. Um, but the evolution of instant response or instant management, I think, is very much related with what we can see uh, happening globally in terms of cyber risk and cyber threats landscape. Um, so I think it's an evolving game where organizations, even if they have CSER teams or CERT teams, um, uh, instituted for a long time, they need to evolve and to adapt to the current cyber risk landscape that we are living today. The threats are not the same. The way that the threats are instantiated into the companies are not the same. Um, so it's a cat and, and mouse game where we do need to put our efforts into actually, I would say, uh, critical for our company and matching the way that incidents are happening um, in the current in the current environment that we are living. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I thought what's interesting is I like your question as well too, because I think why is incident response more important now than it ever has been? It's because attacks cost more than they ever have. The impact is greater. Greater impacts equals greater importance. And I think you're seeing a more, uh, companies take a more focused view of, or do we have the right IR processes in place? Do we have the right people in place? 
are we able to manage this correctly? Because they know that if they were to get that right, in the event of an actual breach or a cyber event, they have the ability to curtail the damage. And I think that's part of our job is to help ensure that the damage is minimized as best we can, if not mitigated and or fully removed. Totally agree. I would like to add on to the part, you know, we as just people, <clears throat> consumers, customers, whatsoever, we are so used and everything being for us in real time. So we're being used to have speed and everything being available to us. And with all these technological you know, advancements, developments, however you want to call it, the threats are different. There is more, you know, the, the attack vector exposure, for it, it increases, but also our desire to want to have it resolved ASAP. And for that, you know, if, if something goes wrong and things, you know, they will go wrong, no matter how, how good you prepare things, how due diligent you have been, things will go wrong. And it's so important for us to be able to recover fast and deliver that value again to, you know, your end users, customers or whatsoever, because if we don't, we are losing out on them. And, you know, that also costs money in that sense. So it's just, you know, overall important to be able to keep up and being able to move forward again and to where we originally were. The loss of trust in, and the loss of everything that's connected to the business is it's critical. And that's why the planning part is so important because as you said, uh, Victoria, it will happen. It's not a matter of if, it's it's just when it's going to happen. And I think those are your words. Uh, so I hope you don't mind me borrowing them, but yeah, it's, and it's that, um, criticality that everyone needs to, to understand. And in the end, what we are hoping for all businesses and everyone involved in not just the incident planning in security is that trust is the most important asset that we need for everyone to understand that um, needs to be uh, taken care of in terms of the business value we deliver. Definitely. And I think Nuno meant, uh, touched on that when he, what he called a cat and mouse game, right? Um, it's not, it, it's a matter, it's a matter of when, it's not a matter of if. Um, and, and you guys touched on a few good points related to uh, reputational impact, but talk a little bit more about maybe the business impact of having a poor incident response plan in place. <laughs> That's really bad. Um... That's my professional expert opinion. It's really, really bad to have that. I think um, on average, uh, the, you know, we see data that shows if you can respond to an event in a certain period of time, I'm not gonna use, I can't remember exact numbers off the top of my head, but it's somewhere, you know, if you can, I think the mean time to respond to an event is somewhere 80 to 100 days or something along those lines, find somebody to tack in and actually respond to it. If you think about that, that's hundred days, that's almost a quart, that's, you know, three months. So it takes three months to, to find something. You basically put at risk three months of your business, quite simply. You know, take your court, take, and this is rough, rough, rough magnitude of order kind of stuff. Take your business, divide the gross revenue by four. That's what you're putting at risk just by having an incident response plan or incident response capability that takes that long. So controlling that number, being able to find, detect, and, re and respond to incidents quickly is a direct material um, impact to the bottom line for your organization. So there, there's direct correlations to that, in my opinion. That's an area that I think we should talk more about because I think most incident responders, this, this panel is great because we're having a business conversation. Most incident responders talk about it from a technical perspective. And their bosses go, yeah, it's great. We understand that. But the, the why really boils down to what is the business value we bring to the organizations. And it's like, how do you, how do you talk to people who have this myth uh, that they can avoid 
uh, cybersecurity attack? Um, <clears throat> if we talk about the uh, uh, the response procedures uh, uh, during uh, cybersecurity, so actually the main, the main goal of, of, of my team is uh, is actually to do the the time the business is done. Okay, so. Uh, um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of mission, a lot of uh, uh, decision that we need to uh, achieve uh, to take the business out of this uh, incident. Maybe I asked the question a bit differently, or um, is it possible to avoid a cybersecurity uh, attack today? Uh, no, of course not. Um, <clears throat> actually, there's uh, uh, two main reasons. Uh, I would go to explain about uh, vulnerabilities, for example. Uh, my, my first example is um, a, is the zero day vulnerability, which we cannot uh, be prepared. Yeah, so uh, it's not our fault. Uh, we just have to be ready for that uh, to contain this uh, this incident. Uh, the second uh, vulnerability is. Um, it's too dependent on us. It's it's called one day vulnerability, which was zero day vulnerability before, uh, and vendor is route uh, uh, fixed for that uh, vulnerability. As now now he's publishing uh, his uh, vulnerability for for all of us to fix it. Uh, but it's now a race that uh, who's gonna <clears throat> uh, who's gonna test this vulnerability first. Uh, are we gonna fix it or? Uh, uh, Cyber criminals will uh, uh, try it on, on our network. <clears throat> As we know, um, cyber cyber crime, uh, cyber cyber security, cyber attackers are uh, actually faster than us uh, because uh, every CISO know uh, that make changes on the network uh, during the end of the quarter or something like this. It's uh, interrupting the business. So uh, we already pushed this uh, uh, deployment to the end of the day, but this uh, this time frame is very critical, okay? Because uh, attacker is just waiting for uh, for this uh, vulnerability to publish, and uh, they believe uh, we didn't uh, approach, we didn't deploy this fix. Um, so uh, this is the main uh, this is the this is the main reason why we. Uh, we cannot avoid it, totally avoid its uh, uh, cyber attack, but uh, at least we can be ready. Okay. This is the most, uh, my best uh, recommend, recommendation is uh, just to be ready, be prepared, make your backups. IR can make, can make uh, a lot of magic, uh, but it cannot avoid it all, okay? So Mar Mario, <laughs> Yeah, I wanted I wanted to just move on to our second topic, um, and thank you, Itzik, for uh, for that. Um, I wanted to move on to our second topic, um, which is uh, you know planning uh, incident response planning um, and how to create an effective strategy. So, Mario, why don't you start us off? What does an effective incident response plan uh, look like? Sure, I just want to, to build on something that we just said recently. I mean a cyber attack, a cyber event, however way you want to call it, it's going to happen. I like to use the, the analogy of a safe. Whatever we're building and all of those defenses, just try to delay the inevitable. It's about finding that before it 
actually happens, so you can actually prevent it. A safe just will just delay someone from getting in, and hopefully you will catch it, or the police will catch it before they break into into your safe. So that's that, that's all of these defenses and layers of defense that, that we keep building to do defend our, our castle, even though that can defend the castle mostly it's long gone. Now, um, with that said, uh, it's always good to take a proactive than a, than a reactive uh, approach to, to planning, right? And something I like um, to uh, uh, say is that you need to build relationships with all of stakeholders. Again, to build on something that Gary just said a moment ago, what would happen if you told the business and not just like the C-suit, uh, if you told HR, if you told marketing, like, or, or meantime to respond, to get back this business on track, is three months. How will that impact you directly? And that will get people on board really quick. Uh, when you tell them that directly without uh, technical jargon, with just, you know, us working again, it will take us three months. How does that sound to you? And with that, you build or try to build, hopefully, uh, a crisis management team because we're not alone in, in a cyber incident. We have to build these relationships. We have to bring HR, we have to bring marketing, public relations, any, any, anyone that can lend a hand, that technical support, customer experience, I mean, whatever it takes to, to get a hold on this. And something that it's important, and it's something that we as a, as a community need to do more of this, it's communication. Because we, I mean, the cybersecurity industry and community in general is very strong, and we're all willing to lend a hand, whatever, it is that that actually happens. So if we communicate and disclose, because this is a word that not many people like disclosure of events of things that happen. If we communicate more, uh, we'll just become stronger. So um, being proactive rather than reactive should be the, the approach. And um, building a crisis team will be, uh, for me, the first step in that successful incident um, planning. Yeah, plan. Thank you. It's great. Thank you, Mariel. Um, Victoria, my next question is for you. How does uh, prioritization fit into IR planning? Um, are all systems and, and incidents created alike, or do you rank them or, or their risks differently? Well, I know incidents and risks definitely, you know, they, they can differ. It really depends on the impact, how it impacts your organizations, your all your stakeholders, whether internal, external, you know, every incident it can be different. There's so many examples. So yeah, definitely, um, you know, it's it's not all all the same. So it's also really up to you to really get an understanding of how does it really affect us, our stakeholders. Uh, but nonetheless, regardless of that, the thing that will always matter is you want to recover from your incident as soon as possible. I mean, it's a disruptor of whatever you are doing. Like Mario said, if you want to get like your other stakeholders involved, like HR and marketing, but I always tell them like, it would suck if you would have an incident and suddenly I need you to help us out, wouldn't it? Like people don't want to get distracted and pulled from the daily jobs. They want to move forward, which is the whole idea of having an incident response plan. You can't plan exactly for the unexpected, but if you know what basic steps to take, if you do that, if you plan, plan those things ahead, you can still you know, move fast and recover as soon as possible from the basic steps that you don't want to think about. You don't want to think like, oh, who should I inform? It's just good to have like a list beforehand when it comes to the prioritization 
to know all the possible stakeholders you have in hand. Uh, you can literally like mark them out with a pen digitally uh, or even on paper if you print it out. Relevant, not relevant, relevant, not relevant. And then just follow seriously like a chart. Like I personally like use kind of a timeline and based on importance, uh, who should know something first in the sense so they can prepare. For instance, you know, if you have your uh, PR team, if something goes on, they need to have the time to prepare a statement publicly, depending again on your incident. But you want to have those people address first, for example, um, you know, other stakeholders, which, you know, they might come a bit later, even if it's 10 minutes later or whatsoever, you know, there, there can uh, be a sense in that. Have it beforehand. Um, let's say you mark it off. You don't want to think, just make yourself, you know, make life easier so you can move forward to all the next steps that you have already planned out. So prioritization really matters in, um, you know, making sure your steps are aligned well, optimized, so you can, you know, recover from your incident as soon as possible. That's the whole goal, <laughs> recover ASAP. And Jerry, uh what, how does data management and data management includes, you know, knowing where data is stored, what's in each data set, who has access to it, um, how does that play a role in handling data breaches? It's a fun one. Um, and I kind of, I kind of <clears throat> tie this into what Victoria just said as well, too. It, it actually goes back to prioritization. Uh, you know, if you think about it, we, organizations, if we, if we put on our IT hats, because yes, we're all security people, but we all use IT, right? I promise you, I'm calling from a computer. Um, so we all use IT systems and our businesses, the businesses we work at have this concept of disaster recovery. They've got, they know what the critical systems and where critical applications are. And they've got those ready to be backed up and, and recovered from very, very quickly because they're the most important to the business. Yet when it comes to incident response planning and data, we tend to be, I think Mario said it's reactive versus proactive. And I think what we miss when it comes to incident response planning, especially when it comes to prioritization is knowing simply what data do I have where, who's got access to it, and to be kind of really candidly blunt, do I care if it gets out or not? And do I care? Should I care? If you've got the secret sauce to your algorithms for your company that makes you business, that's really important. If you keep data about your uh, employees, softball, soccer, football, cricket, whatever your sports teams is, and you got an internal league and you rack and stack those, I don't care. I'll be candid, that doesn't matter. But those are two business views of data. That's not a technical view of the data, right? So when you think about data management, the thing we have to get better at security is linking between what the business thinks, what, what's important to the business and what's important to us. Because I promise you, if you walked into your organization and you were like, hey, you know what? We're in the middle of an incident. I called HR, I called legal. We're all good. Oh, really? How come? Isn't that, is our crown jewel data getting hit? You go, I don't know. That's about the time the other person you should call is your career coach because you might be in a little bit of trouble there. But if we can tie that to, hey, you know what? I'm sorry, we had an incident. We're responding really quickly. Here's all the stuff we're doing. And it turns out the impact of the business is low because the data is nothing more than you know, the, 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 the standings for our internal sports teams. You, you give that conveyance of both assurance to the business, but more importantly, you save the business money. Right, we saved the business money and we're doing our job as incident responders in that regard. So to me, it, 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 understanding data and data management is absolutely critical in incident response. It's about the more you know up front, the more the better you can respond late, later on. And I promise IT does back up on recovery planning. They do disaster recovery planning and they do it based on what's most important to the business. We need to do the same thing, especially when it comes to understanding what data is. Definitely well said. Um, you know, did you want to add something uh, to that? 
Yes, so I, th I think it, it was said already, but I would just like to leave everyone with one thought when they, they leave this webinar, which is actually rethink your incident response. It's not about technical response. It's about, it's about the business. It's how you will support the business to continue to operate. And when you go to, bu to business um, directors, if you go to your exec level, uh, probably not through your CEO, according to the, the the size of your company. But if you go to your exec level, to your financial uh, officer, to your legal officer, to your compliance officer, and to the responsible responsible for each business unit, and you directly connect with them, and you say, "Okay, if we have an issue, and your operation is stopped, how would you react?" Like Mario said, how would you react? How, who would you call? Who you contact? Do you need to contact your, uh, the legal team? Do you need to contact the compliance team? Do we need as a company to contact regulators? Do you need to contact uh, a, a regular um, cybersecurity national agency? Do we have such an obligation? How long should we take internally to respond to this? And these type of questions, and also putting what Jerry uh, uh, put into, into the conversation about data, if we start to pull these questions from the business, they won't know how to answer. And when they don't know how to answer, it's when you are now set to create relationships, to build the instant response team and to define your playbooks. As an instant response team, you need to have playbooks and the playbooks need to include everything important for the, for the business. And you need to test them with the business and with other stakeholders. Thank you, Nuno. Um, and a, qu a question just for you all. Uh, we're talking about acting, you need to plan, you need to plan in order to act. Are there any um, response activities which actually can exasperate the issue or make the situation worse? As I said before, um, there's a lot of uh, hard decision uh, we need to say when we, get, when we go on the scene. Um, you have to, to keep in mind that uh, at the scene, at uh, the situation, the attacker is uh, is controlling. Okay, so uh, uh, we have to understand deeply uh, the situation. We understand to understand the attack uh, very good uh, to be able to take a decision. A wrong decision uh, can uh, can harm uh, uh, the organization of uh, going back. Uh, on operate operation, um, and I have uh, I, I I can give one example for uh, the cyber attack of today. Uh, it's not only about uh, ransomware. Okay, it's about uh, uh, data uh, data exploitation and data stealing, um, and uh, it means that the attacker wants to stay. Uh, Want to stay hidden on the network. So uh, sometimes when we get in the scene, um, attacker don't want uh, to be exposed, and intensive uh, IR activities on the network uh, can attract his attention, and he can get uh, aggressive and, for example, uh, execute the ransomware. Okay, so now we have a, a data leak and a ransomware. So um, uh, that's why we have to. To really understand the attack, uh, we have many tactics. 
to identify the attacker persistency on the network um, and take actions to, uh, to disconnect the attacker from the network. Uh, by doing that, the attacker is blind, okay, and uh, we actually buy more time to respond. So, uh, does anyone um, have anything else to add? Um, well, just a small tip I would say yeah, is to not, you know, to not assume someone is on, especially you know, working more and more remotely. If you kind of assume, oh, someone is taking care of it, and you're actually wasting time. So it's so important to really confirm someone is still working on it. Uh, if someone needs help, so what, whatever, or needs a break, that you know that is going on or happening, so you can. Um, pitch someone else in to help or whatsoever but not you know assume because time is so critical to contain there's no time to lose so that's just something i would say that's really important and just a, yeah sorry there it's just i wanted to take the opportunity to connect what nuno and you all have said you build this playbook that you need you're going to need this regardless with asking those tough questions to the business and the whole goal for you to have in a playbook is that when you're in the incident, you'll know what to do. Like Victoria said, step by step with hopefully the peace of mind that you've tested this and that you know that these are the right steps that you're communicating with the right people and that you know that this will happen, this is the next step, because I promise you. And I hope that you, none of, any, of everyone here in this uh, meeting uh, is ever in an incident, but we will be at some point. But I promise you that when that happens, a lot of things will happen at the same time. You will be overwhelmed. So having that playbook that you tested and that you discussed with the business and that you hopefully know that works is so critical. And Jerry, please go ahead. No, you said it well. I think um, my comment was it's going to tie into I think the original question of what both you and Victoria said is the one thing you can do that would be terrible is to panic. Um, don't panic. Don't panic. Like you, you're not the first company to be breached. You're not the first person ever to be responding. You're not the last person to ever be responding. You know, Victoria said it well. Don't don't delay. Don't wait. Mario said it. You know, you plan the work. You work the plan. But don't panic. That's sometimes we get a little excited when these things happen. Don't panic. It sounds so simple, but please don't panic. And, and Jerry, I will I will add and <laughs> communicate and act yeah. transparently. Communicate, and I think also Mario touched on this point, have a crisis team. One of the worst things that you can do is not know how to communicate and how to communicate that. If you, if you do a lousy job on communicating the instant response, the, the instant, or worse, try to hide it, you will lose credibility. And there are a number of examples. Uh, for instance, I, I, remember, I remember for studying one of the biggest incidents with JP Morgan Chase, uh, actually, the, because they communicated that so well to the customers and to the regulators, they, they, they stock prices even increased on that, on that period. And I can give you another very close example. Here in Portugal, Vodafone had a massive attack. They, went, they, they, went, they were without service for several days. Of course, in the, in the range of one week, pretty much five days, uh, more or less, they could recover the 3G, the 4G, uh, and all the uh, B2C uh, flows. So um, one of the good things that they did after this incident is they took this in a very transparent way. The CEO communicated this 
with, in a very professional and supported way with a proper crisis management team. And they actually created a marketing PR campaign with that incident to thank the customers and their reputation increased because of that. So it's crucial that you take these lessons learned from other companies and you onboard it into your own processes. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about prioritization of, um, you know, business outcomes, but I think what we're discussing here on a reputational level has to do with, uh, you know, uh, customer data and prioritizing uh, data privacy. So I think um, putting that front and center, making that your priority um, and any of the external communications you have uh, is super important. And I'm still, I'm still waiting to hear back from Facebook about what happened, what was it, six months ago? Is it a year already? Um, I, I never, I never heard back about, you know, what that was. Um, but I think there's already a sense of distrust there from many other incidents. Let's talk about a final question on this topic. Um, uh, and I just want to get, uh, again, some tips. So what are some ways that IR managers can, can make IR planning less daunting? We touched on a few already. I want to get in any, any last tips that you have before we move on to our next topic. I would say test, test and simulate and actually uh, put in practice what you have in the playbooks, like Mario said, it's crucial that you test your instant response plan. You will never think clearly uh, in the spotlight. When the instant is happening, you will not know how to do. You will not remember that you, you can put ACLs in routers on a technical way. You will not remember that you need to block whatever port on the firewall. You will ne never remember that you need to communicate to the regulator uh, in an X period of time. You need to have this clearly defined, so you need to test it. You need to execute your playbook in a simulated way with the stakeholders. Yeah, can I add something about simulation? Uh, the teams I, I uh, mentioned uh, earlier, um, we had, uh, we had a, a collaboration between this team and we create an operation called uh, Purple Team Activities, which means uh, we can practice on your organization network um, the exact attack uh, live, like a live demo of the attack. Uh, great simulation with the red team that is actually uh, creating the attack on the network with actually with the code, okay? The blue team is my team that uh, uh, uses a SOC uh, and, and, and teach you how to detect uh, the very first uh, anomalies on the network. Um, uh, and all the operation is, uh, is a great simulation. Uh, if you never uh, experienced a cyber attack, uh, or if you experienced but you missed it, so uh, this is a great uh, activity to learn how it works, to be prepared. Any other thoughts on testing? Uh, not particularly on testing, but I would say just as a tip to make it less, less daunting, you know, also online, there's so many playbooks or planning tips or guidelines, I would just highly recommend to also consult that because there might be some things in it where you can, you know, derive some value from it to improve your incident response plan. Let's move on to our last topic, um, taking action. So what is the first thing we should keep in mind when executing our plan? I guess it's a question for me again, Arnaud. <laughs> you, you can start us off, go ahead. Sure. So um, 
Well, you know, I think Jerry already kind of covered covered it, but my answer would be, you know, really stay calm and make sure that people also don't forget to take care of themselves because people might get drawn to incidents, especially incidents if they take a longer time. But I've kind of noticed in general that people are so busy, they forget about taking care of themselves. And uh, personally myself, I used to be very involved in whatever kind of incident to also like help around. I kind of took a step back and really become more a facilitator and making sure, you know, people have the food, order food for them making sure people don't get stuck or snapping like, oh my God, maybe if someone makes a mistake, if it's an incident caused internally or whatsoever, that people don't get snapped into, you know, um, kind of faulting themselves and wasting time on not resolving the incident. Like, it's fine. Things happen. It's more important to just recover and, and take a look at the end to, you know, to look at lessons learned, how we can improve for the next time and just really focus and move on to, you know, the issue at hand, like Jerry already really highlighted like don't panic don't stress really make sure that people really understand that things happen it's just important to recover and if you're able to recover that's a thing that we should celebrate at the end you know you can't plan everything ahead you can't always plan and resolve the unexpected the way you want it even if you have a plan you might there may be so many reasons to not even be able to follow up the plan the end goal is in you just focus on there's something wrong. Let's see how we can recover from, from it and have less distractions that, you know, people get panicked or stressed or, right. or whatsoever. And this is a very important realization to have and also not to forget about the ending. So when you're executing incident response plan, there should also be a step to analyze once it's contained, you know, it's recovered, you already committed everything to, to everyone, making sure you have, you know, people to trust you again, to really talk about, the real root cause analysis and not to like push it away and be like, oh, but it's resolved. Yes, but never waste a good incident. You know, we hear this so much in our industry, never waste a good incident. Learn from it, really take, you know, the approach like, but why did it went wrong? And why did that went wrong? The whole, you know, five whys. It's so important to really, really invest in that part because that gives you so much information and tips for a next time, which, you know, all the panelists already say, it will happen. Let's just make sure that this uh, incident, whatever it is, it, it's not the same one that recurs. See what lessons we can learn from that. Feed it in into the plan next time, so you become easier, um, you know, at it even more at ease, being able to resolve things. So you, in the end, you eventually help your business. You know, moving forward, focus on on the important thing that really matters. Definitely. And Jerry, do you want to add on to that? Because I know um, I have a question for you coming up that's related to this topic. That's like a cheat, right? You're asking me to answer the first question without knowing the question. So I'm supposed to just wing this. I like that. Thank you. See, this is, this is like Victoria just talked about. You can never plan everything. Sometimes you just have to roll with the flow. Um, no, I, I think she said it, she said it just very, very well. Um, you can't, I love the way you said it. You can't plan everything, but I think the whole reason why training is important and why we build plans is not to, I've, no plan survives first contact, right? There's, there's never been a plan that survives first contact. But if you understand what your objectives are and you've got your primary goals outlined and you've trained, you can prepare better. And as Victoria mentioned, she's described a team. She didn't describe a lone wolf trying to run off and solve, save the day. She described the process where everybody lends and everybody helps. And I think, remember, you're not in this alone. It's actually, it's actually huge, right? The more you are together with your team, the better off you are. And I don't know what your next question for me is going to be. But Victoria said it so well, so I'm just going to leave, leave her yeah, as a next, prime example. My next question uh, actually is for Itzik, um, and I think it's probably the ultimate question, to pay or, or not to pay? Oh, um, so, yeah, 
it's a good question, but uh, actually there is, uh, there is one answer. We suggest you not to pay ransom because it's, uh, it's actually target you as, uh, as someone who is willing to pay uh, and, and prefer target for other, uh, other groups. Uh, secondly, it uh, supports cybercrime. So uh, if there is any way that you can avoid paying this ransom, uh, just help us and uh, let us help you. And um, if there's still an, uh, if there's still a, a, a reason to pay for some for, for because you lost uh, very important data, so uh, we can help you with that as well. Yeah, don't most, most clients pay uh, in, in, in the end? Is this accurate or is this a myth? Victoria, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to ask Itzik if he would give the same answer if it were a hospital and lives were at stake, just out of curiosity. <laughs> uh, it's a different, it's a tough question. Uh, it depends uh, on the damage, all right? If it cannot be repaired, uh, so of course we will go. We will go to a negotiation, uh, but it should, it should be the, the the last thing you do. In Ireland, I don't know if, I don't know if, if uh, anyone followed that incident, but the healthcare system in Ireland was attacked and was compromised for quite some time, and a number of again human beings that had nothing to do with this were affected. So it's, it's, that's, those are the tough questions, really. And, and if I can add, uh, by chance, today, one of the biggest central hospitals here in Portugal was uh, targeted by ransomware. Of course, they are demanding a ransom in Bitcoin. Um, and this connects directly to this question, to pay or not to pay. Of course, if you follow most of the, the, the movements, especially from, from the nomoransom.org, where they have a number of reasons not to pay, and they are all true, um, you are supporting cybercrime. Uh, you don't know if the uh, key they will deliver to you will work to decrypt data. You will be targeted by a number of other uh, cybercriminals because they know you will pay and so forth. Of course, there are a number of, of aspects to take into account. Um, and it should, of course, be the last result, resort, but it should be taken into consideration. Because when you have uh, lives in stake, um, you, you need to have this as a, as a last resort. Even if it doesn't work, you need to put it on the table. And you need to have someone in the middle that is a professional negotiator with these uh, cyber criminals and these cyber actors. And they are most probably to have more success than you to negotiate because you don't even know how to negotiate this. So also put in your IR plan, if you are targeted by a ransomware, who you should contact to negotiate this on your behalf. And I'm sure that most of people here in this call don't know who to turn into it. Uh, so it's a good thing to also understand who you should call, who you should uh, uh, put on the table to negotiate this. And um, last but not least, put on the table if you need to pay, but with the caution that it might not work and it will potentially not work. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's just great advice. And it's funny because you know, the, our first instinct as security professionals is to say, no, of course not. You can't pay, right? We're security people. We got it. Don't worry about it. I live on the East Coast in the United States, and you might remember the Colonial Pipeline incident uh, from, from a little while ago. Um, they paid, right? And then they got some of the money back, which God bless the government on that one. I guess my taxes went to do something good there. 
Um, and you can quote me on that one because I don't like to get quoted on the government stuff normally. But there are times that the decision to pay or not pay, I think, I think you said it right, is it's a, it's a business decision. It is a literal business decision. And I would love for the day when instant response and the business can sit at the table and go, hey, we have this much ransom to pay. They're asking for this. And security can say, you know what? We can get this operational back and recovered in such a short time frame. We don't have to pay or we can't pay it like that. That should be a variable in the equation. We have to be confident enough to be able to say yes or no, because at the end of the day, it's a business decision. And you said it well. You really said it well. It, it is. Um, it is all about what is the best for the business. And it's, there's no guarantee either way. But if you have paid, if you're on this call and you have paid, don't feel bad. There's a lot of people who pay and just don't talk about it. Um, because you point. have to. That's the whole point. You want to have the discussion now when there's no right. incidents. You want to right. have the input right now and not when it happens. I have known companies who have had Bitcoin in reserve for this very kind mm -hmm. of thing. And this is also where governments need to understand and collaborate with business because uh, there are some that want to make it illegal to pay ransomwares. Uh, so if those legislations move ahead, companies will have a big pr problem and then the government will have to support those organizations. So it will also be a financial burden on, on them, uh, which in the end of the day, there's a, a line between uh, you are a public or private organization and you need to uh, be within a scope of uh, regulation that is also not too damageable to your business, right? We need to take this into consideration. Ariel, what is the most important part of uh, data recovery in your opinion? This is a topic that I guess no one likes and it's not as sexy as, as, as others, but Jerry brought it earlier in, in the discussion. And most people will tell you that it's to test your backups early and often. We should you, you should be doing this regardless, not, not for me to tell you, but um, you need to know your data. This is this is crucial. You need to know what it is. You need to know where it is. And like Gary said, you need to know if, if it goes out, is it, is it important? I mean, if it's payroll, yes, of course. But if it's the sheet of players of your softball team, like you said, I mean, is it that bad that it got out? Uh, we can live with that, right? So it, it's, again, it's something that most companies, as they grow, they start overlooking because, you know, the bigger you are or the larger you are, the more data you have, but you need to start this exercise way, way, way earlier in, in the incident response uh, planning. You need to know your data. You need to know where it is. You need to know what it is. Uh, you have to have your, your um, tools in place to prevent other risks, data leakage, etc. But again, the, the data is critical to the business. And if you don't know what it is, you don't know how to protect it and what are you going to do if it goes out. Thank you. Jerry, how do we know that we've contained an incident? Like when what's the mile the milestone for that? Yeah, it's funny. Um because there's, there's three answers, actually. There's the technical answer when, you know, we think we've got it all covered and we can't find any traces and our systems are back and operational. There's the business answer, which is we're not losing money anymore. Um, to me, it's always, actually, I like to add a third level onto that. And have we done both a business and technical retrospective, right? One of the most important parts of any process is to, is to look back after you finish it and say, what could we have done? What did we do well? What did we do poorly? And what could we do better the next time? 
Um, you know, if you can objectively answer, if you're at that point in an incident, you're done. But it, but you have to do that part. Too often we just, ah, we're done, it's over, life is back to normal, let's go find another fire to put out. That's how we're built. Um, and so I think the more we do, that's why I don't end anything until we've done a retrospective. Because once you've done a retrospective, you're now standing back, you know you finished the technical piece because it's not the technical piece. Like um, Nuno, I think you said, you know, when you, the Vodafone in Portugal took the results of their, you know, what they did and used that as a marketing campaign. So they were able to step back and go, well, we finished the technical thing. We finished the business thing. Hey, that was great marketing. Maybe we should do this fun thing again, right? Let's have another incident. I don't think they would say that. But they, you know, having that retrospective, being able to stand at the end of this and look back both on the business and technical side is to me the point of being done. Because then you even know you've closed the loop, you've dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and you've handled all of it with the business as well too. You just shouldn't go, Hey, systems are operational. Good luck, business. We're all back to normal. To me, it's that retrospective that ends things well. Victoria, talk a little bit about that, this process of reporting incidents um, to both internal and external stakeholders. Any, any oh. tips, any advice? <laughs> well, I think we already kind of already covered it a little bit. Like it has to be part of your plan. So familiar, you know, familiarize yourself, like who your who these stakeholders are, include the contact information. So you know, at a time when something does happen, you're now like trying to find like, phone numbers or a form and where you have to report an incident. You want to have to, you know, things fast at hand. So that's so important. And you know, incidents happen. So the worst thing that you can do is not report it to your stakeholders. I mean, things happen. Uh, which is not an excuse if there's really a lack of due care or due diligence, but even, you know, I think I mentioned it many times already, no matter how hard you try, things will still happen. It's so important to be transparent, to communicate, um, to not be that jerk to try to hide things. Because if you do that, you are losing trust with whoever you're talking to. No one likes to be lied to. We want to understand, okay, what went wrong? What have you done to make sure you become better at it to, in case it happens in the future, what have you done to prevent them? Like Jerry already said, that retrospective is so, so, so important to you know make sure you can recover again. And um, well, you were, I think you were also asking for some tips in that end regarding that retrospective. What I like to do because you know, I do have a plan, I always like to have to note down when each part of the plan kind of has been resolved or activated. I literally write down the time so that at the end of the retrospective, you'll follow every step. And what I kind of really notice that people somewhat get excited like oh we have done this we have recovered so fast they see this whole process who was involved when someone was you know contacted first when a small sub step was resolved you kind of get this high hope you're getting better at even at the small incidents you know to become better to have this overview of what happened and being able to kind of celebrate at the end that you've got this you know you've got this covered it doesn't make it less sucky that you know an incident did happen but it makes it easier. It also helps the people who are involved, especially they're part of your, you know, crisis team, incident response team, to also release that stress of what we talked before. That you know, sometimes people may panic or whatsoever. So people become also more confident. We're gonna look at it at the end. We will see what we can improve and do better. You know, it doesn't have to be this very daunting thing. Again, no one likes incidents, but you know, the best that we can do is try to make it as efficient and um, kind of where we can as fun as possible. So we also feel more confident you know, when an incident strikes. Definitely. And I want to, uh, sorry, Jerry, did you have something to add to that? No, no. Well, that's a great answer. 
your mic was off. Um, so I, I would like to move on to, to Q&A soon and then do a smooth outro. Um, so I want to invite our audience uh, to submit any questions they may have. And then we have some questions piling up already. Um, and before we, we jump to that, I'm just gonna throw out a final question um, for the panelists. Um, talk a little bit about your take on cybersecurity insurance. Is it worth investing in? Um, and um, any tips or advice in, in how to choose one? I'll give you my one, yes, short answer, yes. Um, uh, but a years ago, a friend of mine told me in the cyber insurance space, he goes, you should think of cyber insurance kind of like life insurance. It's one of those things you get to, you, everybody should have, but you only want that, you don't really want to ever have to use it. Um, it should be part of your mitigation and strategy plan, but it should not be part of your operational mitigation plans. Like in other words, you need to have it to cover some of the costs we talked about, but you leverage it when you need to. And that goes back to the question about paying ransom as well too, because um, these people do know what kind of policies you have. They can find that out. They can know what your what your coverage levels are, but it is still a very critical thing. Not for us on the technical side, but it is very important for the business because you can lower their costs. And so my one suggestion would be to make sure that whoever is responsible for incident response in your organization talks to the guy buying insurance or the woman buying insurance because that, that communication, we've talked about communication, that communication doesn't happen. And then it's like, oh, by the way, here's what you have to do for incident response. And it's like, hang on a second, that's what I signed up for. Um, so please do that communication. It's actually a big, it's actually a big thing with cyber insurance. I'll just uh, piggyback on that, Jerry, and say also in a short or, uh, answer, of course, yes, uh, it is an insurance. It is crucial that you you are protected against unexpected events. Uh, but I will give one advice, which is to carefully understand the exclusions that you are subject for the insurance to pay uh, the, the, the money uh, in the event of a, of a cyber incident, because there are a number of exclusions. If you don't fulfill, uh, you won't get paid. And of course, the insurance is only good <laughs> if you actually see your money back and, and on the return on the investment on the insurance. So take a very close attention to the small letters on the contract and clearly understand what the insurance company needs to do to you to provide you the insurance and to pay you after an incident and if you do fulfill all, those, all of those requirements. Uh, otherwise, it will be pretty much a waste of time and money. I only nodding because yes, insurance is important. So yes, you should get it. But it's one of those things that you rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So like Nuno said, pay attention to the fine print, learn what you're signing up for, um, know what's the scope, what's covered in this, because this, this type of insurance and lots of companies think of it this way. It, they, they see it as, a, as the silver bullet, like the holy grail, you know, this is my crutch. If something happens, I'll just let insurance deal with it and, you know, job done, happy days. But that's not the, the world we, we live in. So uh, if you have it, good, but know what you have. That's the, like data. You have to know what you have because then you don't know what it's going to really uh, cover for you. And also these things keep changing. So it's also a really recommendation, you know, to check like every year, every few years to just check around, ask for, you know, some other companies, see what they have to offer. I mean, it's, it's not one thing you want to buy and then just assume for the rest of your life, it's going to be okay. You also have to invest in maintaining this, making sure it's still the right fit or perhaps move on to a different provider. Definitely. Thank you guys for that. Um, 
I wanted to move on to Q&A now and I have a few questions, but, um, but I, 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 would, I would like to see maybe some, some more come in from the audience. I'm sure, sure you guys have them, so don't be shy. Uh, we don't bite. Um, let's go to our first question from Lydia. Um, the question um, goes as follows. The company, well, I, I'm not going to paraphrase it because I'm not sure if I'm paraphrasing it correctly, but the company must test, test own IRP. So how often, for example, should a company test out, test out their plans? I paraphrased it in the end, but. Um, I, I, I can start with this. I, I think it, it, it depends a lot because if you actually, uh, um, you are responsible for an instant response team or instant response plan, you, you scope a lot of business uh, units within the company, right? You don't have probably one overall uh, instant response plan for the whole company. So you need to slice this into business uh, areas, into uh, for each business areas, uh, the critical scenarios. So if you go around and you test each critical scenario for each business unit or business area that you have within your, within your company, you will see that you will be pretty much the whole year round performing simulations and testing to instant response plans. So uh, that's why I say it depends on the critical number of critical scenarios that you have. It depends on the, the size of your team. It depends on the business units that you have within your organization. Of course, you should have like a, a master crisis plan for your organization, but then slice it down to business areas and test one, two critical scenarios for each of the business. Um, areas and probably you will do this uh, uh, on a yearly basis on a quarterly basis depends really on the number of people that you have and the number of scenarios that you have selected if you have someone specifically dedicated to test your instant response plan then probably that person will be fully allocated the whole year <laughs> performing simulations but at least i would say minimum once a year which should be aligned to the review of your policies Pick any framework and any framework will tell you that at least yearly reviews. But as with everything, the answer really depends depends on business needs. It's not the same a company that has 50 employees and one that has 5,000, 50,000, etc. So and incident planning and, and simulation takes time and takes resources. So again, it depends on your business needs, on how much resources you can spare. And the scenarios you're facing. It's not the same a tabletop exercise for ransomware than, I don't know, full-blown uh, nuclear war scenario, uh, pandemic, zombies, I don't know, whatever you, way you want to, to play your, your incidents. It's, it's never the same. So um, yes, you should test it, uh, but early and often, of course, but it depends on your business needs. I think it's not only just uh, about the cost, the, the effort that you put uh, on cybersecurity, it's about reputation, okay? If you have customers or uh, whatever, uh, uh, if, if your reputation is uh, damaged, I think it's, uh, it's worth more than any money that you can put in the security of your organization. So you have to keep in mind and uh, take it uh, on face priority. Um, we have our next, thank you guys. Um, we have a next question here, which is 
part so it's part question part rant i don't know if it's a rant exactly it's more as someone trying to work uh their way through their own understanding um or through this question of uh, to pay or not to pay um so uh, katie says two people or two panelists have shared that paying a ransom paints a target on your back um, for other attackers to attack you um, and it's something that i've heard before and uh, do you have uh, support um, you can provide for this argument because of course not dealing with the root cause of the breach will open you up to more attacks um, from ransomware gangs um, and I agree with not paying the ransom but I can't use the quote it paints a target on, on our back argument when I talk to clients without evidential support um, I'd love to hear any stories you might have from your experience to speak to this argument and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use the word rant in a way that was dismissive, uh, you know, just more long in length. To, to yeah, I can it. also start with this one and I'll be brief. I think um, there are a number of studies that uh, we, we can look on this. I don't have anyone, any, any study on, on the top of my head, but I do know, know that, the, for instance, the Normal Ransom Project, uh, the FBI, they do uh, have several reports that claim that if you do pay a ransom, you will be more likely to be targeted again, and you will be supporting an industry and making the industry basically work. So more organizations will be targeted by uh, uh, ransomwares. Uh, and also I remember, uh, I believe it was Cyber Reason that issued a report at around 80 or so, I think it was 80% of the organizations targeted by a ransomware that paid were again victims of a target of a ransomware. Uh, and, and if you think about it, if you are a cyber criminal and you attack an organization, that organization pays, you, you kind of think that they are predisposed to pay again if the same happens. Uh, and you will repeat this until they don't pay anymore and then you'll move to the next one. I think it's a matter of uh, um, understanding the logics behind the, the industry of cyber crime. If someone gives you money for something that you do, then you'll try to do it again because it's an easy way, right? You know, money often, you know, is, is a motive for a crime. And that's why, you know, data are, which is the new currency is always kind of a motive for a crime. And if you're easy to attack or, you know, being able to, to retrieve some money or data, then in general, you'll be, you'll be an interesting target. What I do know, because I had this discussion also before, you know, at various events, I know, and I'm not sure if that's the case here, but I know of some people who assume if you pay, they promise to never attack you again. And they assume that, oh, well, we pay to be okay. Of course, you have to remove all the malware and stuff. And you have to do that diligently. And it might just be worth investing, having a real third party to help you to make sure everything is contained, really remove, not just delete the file, but really put it back from an image before you were attacked in the first place, making sure that that um, that door that they kind of enter to, to you know, place uh, the, the ransomware, that that door is really closed and really invest in making sure you make it very difficult for people to attack you in that sense again. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. yeah it, it's so important to really make sure it's, it's contained and really eradicated. You might not prevent it, you know, in the future, but as Nuno already said, once you have done it, why wouldn't you do it another time? That's something, you know, people will, will keep in mind just by logic, um, logical thinking. Yeah. Thanks, Victoria. Um, and Fabrizio also shared, uh, thank you, Fabrizio. Um, uh, 
uh, a LinkedIn article, um, which, which asserts that as well. I would like to play devil's advocate for a second and argue maybe that, um, you know, paying the ransomware is necessarily enablement. Enablement is the lack of security or the lack of guardrails in place, um, right? Uh, not enough training, uh, education, um, and especially uh, the change to remote work, this is this is also what um, has triggered and caused a lot uh, the spike in ransomware. I think that we've seen starting back as early as 2019. Um, so we have one more question, um, and then I think we will wrap up. Um, um, Abdul Malik is asking, what kind of evidence uh, to collect? Uh, for incidents management that uh, you can show stakeholders or possible auditors? Uh, well, I can also start with this one. I, I think, it, it, again, it depends. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, the thing that you need to take into consideration when gathering evidence is that evidence must be gathered in a way that they are acceptable if you need to go to court, for instance. They need to be in a temper-proof. They, they need to be, for instance, uh, uh, stored in a warm uh, device, like white ones read many. You need to, to prove integrity uh, in the evidence that you collect. If you do, uh, uh, there are a number of tools to uh, effectively, uh, let's say, replicate uh, uh, images of servers uh, to collect evidence in a temper-proof way. But for that, you need to have a proper forensic team that knows what to do because evidence collection is really hard, especially when you talk about evidence collection on very sophisticated attacks, when nothing is stored and everything is done on a volatile memory. So those kind of evidence collections are really, really hard to do. Uh, so the answer is, it depends. Depends on the instant. It depends on what you need to evidence and to who. Uh, for instance, auditors, I wouldn't say that, but for uh, for compliance or for regulators or for um, agencies, national security agencies, you probably need their support also to help you to take those forensic evidence collection. Those people are also good to have on your contact list to also know who to call. Exactly. And first, the why. Why are you doing this? And you may not have the resources to have a full-fledged forensic team on your side, but you can always retain a team. You, you can bet them and make sure you have them on standby if you ever need them. Because as I said, this, this is not something you can do on your own without a very particular uh, set of skills to do it properly. I mean, it's just a, the whole um, uh, chain of custody. If you're actually collecting evidence to an end, uh, it, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not something you can just do. Just the process of evidence collection can temper with the evidence and they will not be acceptable. <laughs> exactly. Just... All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Nuno, for that. And thank you, everyone, for your vast insights and for a really wonderful discussion. Um, and um, thank you to, um, to our audience for joining us, as well as all of our speakers, um, Itzik Nahama, uh, Mario Bellotti, Jerry Caponera, uh, Nuno Teodoro and Victoria Van Roosmelen. Um, we hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy. And um, I look forward to hosting you guys um, at many, many more events like these. Um, so thank you. Thank you once more.
Thank you. It was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you all. Cheers, everyone. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. One last thing, um, one final um, one final note to get in touch with any of today's panelists, you can reach out to them directly. Um, all of today's attendees will be receiving an email in the coming days with contact information uh, for each of our panelists. So if you want to follow up with them on any questions you may have um, related to today's discussions, don't be afraid to drop them a line um, and, and get in touch. And uh, to stay up to date on Hub Security's upcoming events, you can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter um or check out our weekly digest on medium and uh with that we'll see you next time <laughs> thank you everyone thank once you. more <laughs>